0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a holiday weekend, 4th of July episode of This Show is All About You, a show about all the ways in which you and me connect as we and what that means for all of us. As always, I am your host, JDK Winnekin. You can find out more about me at my website. It's wordsbyjdk.com and on my social media feeds at Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, And happy holiday weekend. Happy 4th of July. I hope everyone out there is enjoying uh, the time away, maybe reconnecting with people we haven't seen in a long time, and, uh, and enjoying some, some well-earned uh, rest and relaxation. Uh, welcome to episode 26 uh, of this show. It's for July 5th, 2021. And uh, I'm excited to talk uh, on this weekend uh, in particular about the new topic for the month, uh, which is going to be freedom. <laughs> it seems to make sense for the month of July, starting off with the 4th of July weekend, the nation's birthday, to talk about freedom. It's a it's a very big word. Uh, it gets used a lot in this country, obviously. Uh, it's a foundational, philosophical cornerstone of, of what the nation is about, but also uh, for the human experience, I would say. And so uh, to kind of push that in a certain direction, I'd like to... Uh, give you the haiku for this week uh, that goes like this. True freedom is found first within, then given out to all without fault. True freedom is found first within, then given out to all without fault. So you might get the sense from that we're going to be talking about both external freedom, which is oftentimes what we're talking about, and then what it means to have internal freedom or inner freedom. So outer and inner, that's what we're going to be talking about uh, this month. Um, but before we do this, I was, I was looking at my calendar the other day and I realized I've been doing this show for about six months now. Uh, and it's been a wonderful uh, experience for me. And uh, KKNW has, has been wonderful host of the show. And uh, there's one person, you've heard me talk about my producer Stacey Heller before. but there's a, another really important person involved in this who I have yet to acknowledge live on the air. And it's the uh, lead engineer and uh, studio producer of the show, Eric Ryder. And I just wanted to, Eric, because I'm looking across at you. I just wanted to thank you for the last six months for how how wonderful of a, and supportive you've been, and for your expertise. So thanks very much for everything you do for the show. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's been fun listening to it. Oh, that's good. I appreciate that a lot. And uh, and you got the you got the best voice for radio, I think, uh, <laughs> podcast that, that I've ever heard. I appreciate that. Yeah, and and Eric and I enjoy time uh, between breaks uh, talking about marvel movies and oh, stuff. i've been
1: meaning like, to ask you if you've been watching loki oh yeah yeah it's good
0: <laughs> it's good i um it might be the best one so far that's
1: what i said too. Oh, yeah. oh
0: okay we're agreed on that and that's saying something because the other ones were good absolutely yeah so okay well <laughs> so we can do a whole episode one of these days just the two of us talking about the marvel universe but anyway thank you so much eric for for all your help on the show because it, it folks it literally wouldn't exist uh without him so thank you my pleasure all right so uh, the show's title for today uh, is Four Freedoms, as in the number four. Four Freedoms, and uh, it makes sense, you know, for me to put my historian hat on on Fourth of July weekend to talk a little bit and reflect on uh, the historical meaning of the holiday. And of course, the visual symbols of this holiday are everywhere. Right, we know them really well: flags all over the place, uh, fireworks all over the place, (laughs) sometimes public, sometimes in neighborhoods, Uh, barbecues, uh, baseball uh, for me, you know, other sports, um, being out in the water, family get togethers, those types of things like a big birthday party, which is essentially what it is. And yet, uh, when we talk about the history of uh, the country and the founding of the country, uh, as we talked about last month, um, history of what actually happened and what actually became myth about it or is misunderstood those get mixed up quite a bit pretty quickly and so what i'd like to talk about though is uh what these notions from a historical point of view what uh these notions of freedom mean and it's really tough to do this in a short 30 minute show uh it would be tough to do in a 30 hour show to to cover uh all of this but um What I'd like to reflect on a little bit is I'd like to go back, you know, the the Declaration of Independence, of course, is uh, considered one of the most important documents about human freedom, maybe the most important document about human freedom in human history. Right up there, obviously, with the Constitution In the American experience, we could talk about uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, the Gettysburg Address, things like that. But because, because, of course, the American experiment, as it came to be called, was a deviation from everything that was known at the time. It was... Uh, Interestingly enough, when when the Declaration of Independence was signed and shipped off to uh, King George in London, uh, Benjamin Franklin is reputed to have said to his colleagues in Philadelphia, gentlemen, uh, we should all hang together now. Otherwise, we all definitely will hang separately. (laughs) It's this was an act of treason officially against the uh, British crown at the time. And uh, that's interesting. Right. And it was certainly from the point of view of the founders uh, justified. And while it certainly met the criteria for treason under British law, they were aiming for higher ideals, claiming that uh, taxation without representation uh, was illegal and immoral and against nature. And so this idea of creating a new system of government where there wasn't going to be monarchy that was based in freedom, as it was understood at the time. And of course, that definition has changed (laughs) in the in the centuries since. What was the ideal way for human beings to go. And from the very beginning, it wasn't just about in America, even though the focus was going to be on this new country. These were ideals that because of the enlightenment and the ideas behind the enlightenment were considered to be universally valuable to all humans, at least in theory. And so one of the reasons why we celebrate the 4th of July is because it is such a major break in human history from the norm at the time. And Certainly when the Revolutionary War was over and the American experiment suddenly now had to rule itself, it's much tougher to start figuring out what you are about rather than the what you are against. That was much easier to do. But When they started that and the Articles of, of Confederation failed and the Constitutional Convention was called together, when the Constitution was finally reached, one of its primary founders, James Madison, openly uh said that the constitution needed to rest on a fundamental part of human freedom and a realization that human beings are guided by self-interest. And he even said, quote, uh, that neither moral nor religious motives can be relied upon, end quote, uh, to support Republican government. Uh, and his idea was people are flawed. (laughs) People are limited. They're focused on their self-interest. So, What you really had to do and what he said in Federalist 51 was, quote, ambition must be made to counteract ambition. The interest of the man must be connected with the constitutional rights of the place. So the Constitution was, yes, recognizing self-interest, but was also meant to keep that in in check uh, by the rule of law. And so back then, I think if I was if somebody asked me as a historian, what would you say? How what was freedom understood to be? By the founders in that sense. And, and if I had to narrow it down to four, remember I'm talking about four freedoms, the four at the time, I think um, I would decide and I know people would, some people would, would disagree with me. I would say self-interest, uh, the idea of representation. It was taxation without representation. So it was going to be self-interest, representation, a rejection of monarchy. And then really the superiority of the effort, <laughs> the superiority of the idea of what was happening here. And of course, remember that the representation was going to be landed males who were, of course, considered the most successful, the most wise, uh, the most uh, fit to lead governments at the federal level as well as the state level. So that was really the basis of it. And of course, as you probably know, uh, the question of slavery never really got solved in the creation of the Constitution. It was kicked down the line for somebody else to deal with. And in the end, of course, the person who had to really deal with that, at least as president, was Abraham Lincoln. And, and what I love about where Lincoln took this notion of freedom is he, he took it somewhere else. He rejected outright this idea that Madison and others had had earlier, that it could just be about self-interest, that freedom was just about what individuals wanted to do. And they didn't want anybody else government or otherwise to limit those freedoms. He rejected that outright and he didn't just do it as president. Uh, in 1854, the Kansas-Nebraska Act was passed, and he was, a, he was a senator at the time. And when it was passed, what that did was it essentially opened up slavery to expand potentially into the Western territories that eventually became Western states. And Stephen Douglas, uh, another senator, pitched the idea of popular sovereignty. He said all the peoples in those territories, particularly Kansas and Nebraska, sh- by popular vote should get to choose— whether they have slavery in their states or not and in the debates about the act that made lincoln famous he challenged douglas uh, directly on this because his general argument in all of that was that you couldn't have popular sovereignty on things if there weren't underlying virtues for the whole people as a whole in the united states to operate from said because otherwise whatever one group of people is interested in one place what could clash with another group of people somewhere else, and you couldn't get any cohesion. If everything was about naked self-interest and there wasn't shared virtue underneath that, where everybody started, you couldn't have a national experiment. You couldn't keep a union together. And from Lincoln's point of view, even at the time, even though his, his ideas about slavery evolved, at that time in the 1850s, what he was, <laughs> what he was saying was, there was no logical or moral or ethical basis to defend slavery on that slavery could just be for blacks said, you can't just have a justification that it could be good for blacks, but not enslaving whites. And so he rejected the entire idea as unvirtuous. Therefore, that's why he became such an advocate for this idea of slavery needing to disappear at some point in order for the American experiment to continue to grow. And so he pushed virtue first. You had to have that. So shared upon agreed upon ideals, even in a general sense that Americans embraced underneath their own rights to pursue their own self-interest. So that was big in all of this and moving forward a little bit further into history. So the Civil War happens. Of course, there's all the stuff with Reconstruction and segregation that follows. And moving into the 20th century, I think one of the next best articulations of what freedom was turning into, it evolves over time, is part of my point today, is um, it's not static, but came with in 1941, January 6th, actually 1941, which was 11 months before Pearl Harbor before the United States entered World War II, after the Japanese attack in Hawaii. And it was uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's State of the Union speech. So he was giving it to a joint session of Congress. And it's come to be known as his Four Freedoms speech. And uh, and hence the title of today's show, because these Four Freedoms, uh, he laid out very clearly that they would be uh, freedoms from for, for, for four things. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, however one defined that, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. And uh, just to kind of give you a sense of uh, the quote on this, let me me read some of the speech uh, for you. And again, this is um, FDR speaking. And this is really interesting because if you listen to it, it sounds very contemporary to our situation now. And there's something really reassuring about that on some level for me. This is what he said. There is nothing mysterious about the foundations of a healthy and strong democracy. The basic things expected by our people of their political and economic systems are simple. They are equality of opportunity for youth and for others, jobs for those who can work, security for those who need it, the ending of special privilege for the few, the preservation preservation of civil liberties for all, the enjoyment of the fruits of scientific progress in a wider and constantly rising standard of living. These are the simple, the basic things that must never be lost sight of in the turmoil and unbelievable complexity of our modern world, Roosevelt continued. Quote, the inner and abiding strength of our economic and political systems is dependent upon the degree to which they fulfill these expectations. And then later on, he says, quote, in the future days which we seek to make secure, we look forward to a world founded upon four essential human freedoms. The first is freedom of speech and expression everywhere in the world. The second is freedom of every person excuse me, to worship God in his own way everywhere in the world. The third is freedom from want, which, translated into worldly terms, means economic understandings which will secure to every nation a healthy peacetime life for its inhabitants everywhere in the world. And the fourth is freedom from fear, which translated into world terms means a worldwide reduction of armaments to such a point and in such a thorough fashion that no nation will be in a position to commit acts of physical aggression against any, nation, any neighbor anywhere in the world. And then he says, I love this part. That is, that is no vision of a distant millennium. It is a definite basis for a kind of world attainable in our own time and generation. That kind of world is the very antithesis of the so-called new order of tyranny, which dictators seek to create with the crash of a bomb. The reason why I like that speech so much is it really resonates. A year later, the United States would be in the war, actively in the war, instead of just you know supplying the British and later the Soviets with armaments uh, prior to uh, December uh, 7th. But it, it set the stage on a, for America's moral involvement in the war and mo- America's moral justification. And you can hear it in Roosevelt's language the same way you could hear it in Lincoln's and also in uh, those of the founders. Freedom is a universal thing from the American perspective. It is for everyone and it's inherent. And after FDR died, of course, he didn't see the end of World War II. uh, But his wife, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, did and became a champion for making sure in the post-war world these ideas, these universal ideas of freedom became encoded in new organizations like the United Nations. In 1948, largely at Eleanor Roosevelt's behest and with her direct help in the language, the U.N. released the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and its preamble says this, quote, whereas disregard and contempt for human rights have resulted in barbarous acts which have outraged the conscience of mankind, and the advent of a world in which human beings shall enjoy freedom of speech and belief and freedom from fear and want has been proclaimed as the highest aspiration of the common people. And then in 1951, Eleanor Roosevelt said this famously, many of you may have heard this quote, she said, quote, it isn't enough to talk about peace, one must believe in it, and it isn't enough to believe in it, one must work at it. And what, what I'm leading up to here is this historical example, like we talked about last month. The historical can inform and relate to our personal sense of this. And in this case, talking about freedom, uh, I think this sets up really well a quick uh, discussion about what freedom can mean to us individually and what I see as maybe our four personal internal freedoms or the qualities that can make up a embracing of freedom on a better level. Uh, but let's take a quick break. Uh, before we discuss that. And uh, just go ahead and take a listen to these messages and we'll come right back here on this show is all about you in just a second. Stick around.
1: When giving presentations, do you feel nervous, worry you won't get your message across, or hold your listeners attention? Storytelling is an essential business skill most people don't learn. Telling your story clearly, concisely, and with real connection is key because people respond to and learn from stories more than charts or spreadsheets. Find and finesse your story so you can share it effectively with executive storytelling coach, Melissa Reeves of Story Fruition. Melissa offers individual coaching, workshops, and webinars that teach the ABCs of Tell Me More, Please. Go to www.storyfruition.com.
0: This is Rob Bass. And I want you to tune in to Don't Ask Me To Talk with Stacey Heller. The show that brings joy from pain. Sunshine where it rains. Don't Ask Me To Talk with Stacey Heller. And that's coming from me, Mr. It Takes Two, Rob Bass, Tune in.
1: Do what Rob Bass says. Take a listen to Don't Ask Me to Talk with Stacey Heller. That's me. Tuesdays from 3 to 4 on KKNW. To find out more information, check out my website, stacyconnects.com or text D-A-M-T-T to 55678.
0: Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative
1: Talk 1150.
0: Hey, welcome back to this show. Is all about you and uh, the history lesson portion of today's episode is over. Hopefully, you found that interesting. Uh, but we're talking about four freedoms and and I'm building it off of Roosevelt's uh, push and saying there the four main freedoms for humans all around the world: speech, worship, freedom from want, freedom from fear. Those are all, of course, individually based rights to start with. And it makes sense that when we talk about the outer freedom and the macro, that we also talk about what that means for each of us individually and. What I'd like to do in these last few minutes that we have is introduce for the rest of the month what we're really going to be talking about when it comes to freedom. Uh, All the external questions we have about freedom are discussed ad nauseum all the time in the media. We discuss them and for important reasons. But what I'd really like to be focusing on this month is what that means for each of us internally and how our understanding of that affects our place with ourselves, with those that are around us, our loved ones and our communities. Because that's where all of these things start. If Lincoln was right that everything starts with there has to be a level of virtue, agreed upon ideas that can create a healthy democratic society that can then select forms of government that effectively represent them, then I think it's really important to, to recognize and acknowledge that it has to start on an individual level. And so what I want to talk about in these last few minutes is this notion of outer freedom, which we just talked about, and this notion of inner freedom. And if any of you have ever seen the movie, 1994 film, The Shawshank Redemption, there's a great uh, way to illustrate this, right? Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, is convicted of a murder that he, a double murder that he claims he didn't, uh, that he didn't do. And the entire story, without giving it too much away, for those of you who haven't seen it, is really about his relentless hope that he can survive a double life sentence. And he meets Red, who becomes his best friend, played by Morgan Freeman who is very much resigned to his fate uh, of being in prison the rest of his life and considers hope to be dangerous because throughout most of the film, it's hard to understand what what sense of freedom Andy has. And there's this interesting scene where he gets sent into solitary confinement for two weeks and he comes back and they ask him how it was and he said, oh, it was fine, I I took the music with me. He got in trouble for playing music on loudspeakers that he wasn't supposed to. And so he took Mozart with him and played it in his head. And they said, what are you talking about? He says, well, they can't take away that. They can't take that away from you. They can't take away your your internal hope. And it reminded me of Viktor Frankl in uh, his famous book, "Man uh, Man's Search for Meaning, in which he said, in the end, what the one thing, the one thing that cannot be taken away from any individual person is uh, their own sense of emotion, their own sense of feeling, their own sense of self. It can be destroyed, but it cannot be torn away. And there's a lot of truth to that in my experience. And and yet that outer freedom and inner freedom have to coexist. If one is threatened, the other is affected. And so what I kind of when I thought about four freedoms, like how would I come up with my own four freedoms? (laughs) And please pardon me for putting myself right next to FDR in this. It's just a rhetorical mechanism, not any comparison of myself with FDR. But (laughs) nevertheless, I think it works a little bit of a flourish there. But if I had to pick four freedoms uh, that I think really characterize the ideal for inner freedom, uh, certainly FDR was on the right track with things like freedom from want and freedom from fear. But here is what I would say those four things are. Uh, One is a sense of peace. Uh, Safety. Feeling safe around in one's environment, safe from oneself, safe with loved ones and friends, and just an inner sense of okayness. So I think peace matters. Virtue. This is where I I bring in some of Lincoln's ideas. That I think we do have to have a sense of what is virtuous for us. And how that connects with other people's sense of virtue. I do not think, and I don't think Lincoln believed either, that everybody had to agree on everything. But one had to be willing to try to find the common threads of agreement That everybody in America, no matter where they're coming from, no matter their politics, no matter their social standing, no matter their religious belief, could agree upon as bedrock principles to be protected at all times. So I think on a personal level, an understanding of virtue and an ability to live as best as possible, according to those, is the second uh, part of freedom that's important internally. Another big one, acceptance. Acceptance of the reality of things. Uh, But also that accepting the reality of things doesn't mean you do nothing. It means that you have an awareness of what can be done and what can't be done, of what things to worry about, what things to not worry about, to have a sense, again, connected to that sense of peace of okayness in reality and acceptance of things. And that in a lot of ways can release us from that uh, freedom or that fear uh, that FDR talked about. And then finally, the fourth piece I would identify is connection, recognizing the inherent value, integrity, and dignity of every human being and acting accordingly. And to get to connection, I think you have to have those other ones, peace, sense of virtue, acceptance of reality, and in fact, all of them integrate with one another. And I think when we touch on all of those or when we experience all of those is when we truly understand what it means to be free internally, free from the anxieties that we may create around us, free from the, uh, the opinions of other people to shape us, uh, an ability to build boundaries for ourselves and to state them, uh, and the ability for us to continue to grow and choose our own path and grow in a direction that is best for us. And if we all do that, it seems to follow the way Lincoln saw it, that society as a whole... Can improve, and if that's going to be the case in a democratic society, so it goes, and so the founders believed, that society itself would improve, and that the American experiment would continue to grow, and its own sense of uniqueness and greatness would continue to grow, and that certainly can be the case. Even though, as we've talked about today, you know, notions of freedom and what that means uh, have changed over the years, and continue to be debated today. Right? It's a word that, uh, if you asked ten people, what are the core elements of that, you might get 10 different opinions. But I think it's important for us to remember on these shared holidays, like 4th of July and other national ones, that we do have an ability and a duty to seek those connections and to seek those things. And we have the right to those things, peace, virtue, acceptance, connection in ourselves. And then we can turn around and hand them back out to other people. That is when I think we are at our best as humans, and I think that is when we are at our best in building a society that has shared beliefs, shared sense of direction, and shared purpose. And I think all of us would agree (laughs) that we could use some of that uh, these days. And so we're going to be talking about throughout the rest of this month about those four freedoms in some way, shape, or form those four things. So I wanted to introduce that to you today for this episode. Uh, Thanks for taking some time out of your holiday weekend to spend with me. I hope you found it interesting and thought-provoking. Again, be sure to look me up on my social media feeds at Facebook and at uh, on Instagram as well as on Twitter. And would love to chat with you. So enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend. Thanks for uh, showing up for This Show is All About You. And until next time, everyone, chins up.